0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Addictive Talk. This week we are discussing how traumas develop into behaviours and also going to go through some Instagram questions that we've had this week. So we're going to hand it over to Stu to fire away with the questions. Stu?
1: Okay, so the first question that I'm going to ask is one of four and these first four are just Instagram questions that come through. And the first one was, why should people stop using filters?
0: Oh, that's a very, very big question, but... In the simplest form, I think it's a very quick and fast way to damage your self-worth every single day and every single time that you use them and also become less and less accepting of the way that you look and more more and more desiring of something that isn't real. So every day that you do it, you're almost traumatising yourself, I feel, that you're doing yourself a disservice by not accepting what you really look like and being less and less comfortable with the way that you look, and as a res- also as a result of the feedback that you'll get, so say someone gets a lot of likes, a lot of comments on social media because they're posting these filtered photos, that then evidences the fact that they are only attractive with a filter. Or say they get more likes, more comments from a filtered photo, mm-hmm. then that's just telling them or giving them evidence and this is all subconsciously as well. It's not a conscious thing that they're, they're seeing or thinking about, but subconsciously they're being told that they're only attractive or they are more attractive with those filters. So yeah, keep on using them. It's almost like taking a drug, isn't it? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, if I have that, I'll get more of this. So I'll get more validation, more likes. But then the other the deeper part is that subconsciously they also know it's not real. Mm-hmm. They know it's based on a lie. They know that, that it's fake, that they don't actually look of what that photo looks Mm. like, you know, it's all smoothed out and it's just totally unrealistic to look as perfect as these filters make people look. I think they should be banned. I think it should be banned. Everybody's mental health would be better. Everybody's, so, like the way they see themselves will be better. The way they see other people on social media will be better because they're not. It's not only themselves that they're looking at that way. It's also other people that are doing it as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, obviously, global superstars using filters as well. It's just like it's not good. Nothing good can come from it. So that is why people should stop using mm-hmm. filters, in my humble opinion.
1: Mm. And just quickly on that as well, when when you're talking about filters, because every time you mention filters, I'm like i use lightroom filters is that what you mean <laughs> uh, you're not talking about like lightroom filters you're not talking about like the uh, no, you know I'm,
0: I'm talking about the ones that like completely change people's faces right, at okay. times right. ones yeah, that yeah, smooth yeah. skin cool. they yeah. smooth out skin um make eyes brighter yeah, eyelashes yeah, yeah, yeah. longer right, they put yeah. makeup on some people like yeah. there's a filters that give you a full face of makeup yeah see because i call fit i i don't know if i even call them filters
1: you're talking I about what you use I'm talking editing about, software, Yeah, I'm though. talking about, like, say, like, we go somewhere for the weekend and take a whole bunch of pictures, and we, w- we want it to match our Instagram aesthetic, so yeah. we put them through Lightroom, and then yeah. put on, like, a filter, which yeah. is, like, a uh, yeah, changing the colours of stuff.
0: No, yeah, I don't know, I, I, no, I don't know about those. I'm, I can't give an opinion. I've not seen it. I'm talking oh. about the filters. Well, it's that- just,
1: like, colour grading your picture. Effect. you're not changing anything about the picture you're just, you're just changing just colour the color yeah yeah yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah i mean i can't see no that's not changing the the image itself that's editing the color to right, bring okay. different lighting Got it's like, like a photographer professional photographer would they're not they're not smoothing it out they're just changing the color to you yeah. know it's like having a black and white photo isn't it there's like yeah. it's still the same image it's the yeah. same person they haven't given better cheekbones yeah, yeah <laughs> and a bigger yeah, yeah, jaw yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, was just, off, like, I was just making sure that yeah, I, I, I understood no, no, yeah.
1: what you meant as well. Uh, but the, the the second question, which is from Instagram as well, what should I do after a breakup that wasn't my choice and I still love them? Oh, yeah, I remember
0: seeing it. I feel like you have to accept the pain that you're about to feel. And use the spare time and energy that you've got to understand yourself and what it is that you got from that relationship that made you feel like you, you need them so much. And essentially if somebody doesn't want to be with you, then you have to potentially question why you were so committed into a relationship with somebody that didn't love you or didn't want to be with you. And if they can't see how good you are, then that's their loss. They need to, that's one for them. But if them walking away isn't enough to show you that them they're, they're not deserving of you then you that's something else that you need to look at within yourself as well i feel like this is an opportunity it's not it's not a it's not necessarily a horrible thing it might be the best thing that's ever happened to you it may be in months years to come that you look back at this situation and say if this hadn't have happened then my life wouldn't be as great as it is today these painful wake up calls that we sometimes get change our life profoundly at the time are extremely painful but if you use the time and the energy that you've got wisely you can give to yourself everything that that relationship gave to you and be completely self-sufficient for for that love and in doing so you will then attract somebody who is equally self-sufficient and you will not be dependent on each other for one another's love but be so grateful for one another's presence and just love each other through everything that you want to go through together and truly find the person that that you deserve and that, that deserves you.
1: Nice, nice answer. Um, the third one from Instagram was related to ADHD and was how does it affect your life and how do you manage to stay focused on your routines despite having ADHD?
0: Yeah, so I'm not actually diagnosed ADHD. I've never gone to get the diagnosis. I've never got medication for it. Um, <clears throat> my therapist, two therapists have told me that I do have it. <clears throat> I don't think it is the most aggressive form, but some of the the biggest symptoms that I have, the ones that are most embarrassing, I would say, is um, attention to when someone is speaking to me. Um, so someone might be speaking to me, delivering a sentence, I might've even asked a question and like they're delivering their answer to that question. And in, in, in within their delivery, maybe there's three or four sentences, but the first sentence has made me think of something else. And I'm listening to them and I hear the first sentence and that first sentence takes me somewhere to think of something else. Mm -hmm. And during that time, they're saying their second, third and fourth, and I'm still off on the first sentence thinking of something completely different. And then I might have to, then I come back and I'm like, oh i'm sorry sorry can you please repeat it but that process could happen three times in the same set same go so they do it again they go oh what i was saying was da, 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 and then i go off again <laughs> and then i'm like oh, you're gonna hate me i'm really sorry i'm not being rude um you know i genuinely want to hear what you have to say my brain's just not letting me listen to you right now that is one of the hardest things i hate that because it's embarrassing because it looks as though you don't care about what the other person's saying. It looks like you're just ignorant or you, yeah, you You just don't value their, their opinion or whatever it is they're saying. So that's one of the hardest things that I think I find with ADHD. I don't, I don't like that. Um, and I, I feel like I'm getting a lot better at that. And the other part of that question was how do I stay so focused given the fact that I have ADHD I think it doesn't really matter so much about ADHD. Everybody can have the ability to be focused. I know ADHD makes it slightly harder. I think the ability to to stay committed to yourself and committed to a routine for yourself comes down to the reason why you want to be. Um, comes down to the reason why you want to make changes in your life. Why you want you like I had a really big driving force in my life to change things because essentially, if I didn't get clean and sober and also change the way that I was, then I would probably die and and also I would continue to hate who I was, so it was one thing to get sober, but then to get clean and sober. That's part what step one, and then it's to, to become the per- version of you that you want to be, because if you just get clean and, and sober, you're still the monster that got that got you to that place in the first place. That means you've still then got to go and become a better person mm-hmm. um, so I had massive driving force and to continue to do so. I never want to go back. So for me to be consistent and showing up for myself, pain is there the pain is a big one. I know you shouldn't really do things on a negative, but if, you, if you're going, if a driving force, a pain is a really good driving force. I don't ever want to be in that pain ever again. I don't want to ever make my son in um, suffer in the way that he did. And I don't want to hurt those around me. And I want to live. Mm. So I've got huge driving forces behind becoming the best me. Mm. And I feel like if, if somebody doesn't have a, dr- a good driving force behind their decisions, it's not going to stick. Do you know what I mean? It's like, if they, if they, if someone, I, I don't know, maybe if someone is generally like a really amazing person anyway, I imagine they would have a pretty good routine. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because they to be to be a good person and to lo- is to love yourself, right? And to love yourself takes work. You know, you need to be consistent in showing up for yourself and investing into yourself, whether it be intellectually, emotionally, or physically. Mm. You know, so somebody who does that has a lot of passion for being for loving for the passion for loving themselves so that has to be a driving force you know if you've got if, for me I my driving force was I don't want to ever hate myself anymore mm. I don't ever want to go back to that place I never want to be in that place ever again so I feel like they need to, the person who is trying to change and trying to be committed needs to go what is it I'm changing for mm. I need I need a good reason I need it can't just be oh, I'm just going to chat I want to change because I want to change have a big why needs to be a big why yeah it's not because and that's what makes it stick i think as well you know i think if if you you, anybody can go to the gym for for a few weeks or a few months but going long term forever there's got to be a good reason why it's got to give you some sort of reward but i think for me as well that's the other part is the reward so people might give up after a month but because they haven't yet seen the reward Mm. to its entirety, like you started doing breath work Mm -hmm. and you said at first, yeah, Mm. after a while you're starting to go, Oh, I see this benefit. And as you continue, you will see more and more. So it's all about, right. If I'm going to be consistent myself for a year, let's say let's do that. All right. I'm going to do this for a year. Mm. And then, then judge it. Then make a call as well as to whether or not you should continue or not. Do you know what I mean? Then add up the benefits. Don't do it for a month or even three. You know, commit. Commit to a long-term decision for yourself. And then yeah. after that year, I guarantee there's no way you're going to drop it. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't drop the work that I do for myself, even if I tried now. I wouldn't. I just couldn't live without it. Just it just
1: make you feel shit if you, if you didn't do it. Did you regret it? You wouldn't be able to live your day, like, properly.
0: I just feel like I'd, I'd be missing out. I feel like i'd be missing out massively if i thought if i because it opens me up to so much within myself within the universe i'm like growing every single day it hurts sometimes sometimes not you know you came in today and you heard me doing my breath work but i don't know if you heard afterwards sarah was like putting her arms around me and kissing me because i was crying And I, but the message that came through was you are enough you know, and I've had that message a couple of times before, and that might be because something's happening in my life that's making me doubt that a little bit. Mm. Um, and so, I would just feel like if I if I remove that, I'm, I'm I'm almost not going backwards, but I'm staying still. For me, I always want to be going forwards. I want to be. It's like I've basically stopped on my path. You know, that was how that's how it would feel. Mm. I'm on my path right now, and I'm walking down it. And I, it's all new and I love it and it's, I'm learning so much along the way. I feel like if I dropped all of this investment into myself, mm. suddenly I'd just be staying still and I'm not growing, I'm not learning new things, I'm not changing. I can't teach other people or help other people because I'm not teaching or helping myself. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, that, I hope that, that was a really long answer to that yeah, question. Yeah,
1: no, a good, good answer, <laughs> good in-depth answer. Um, And the final one of those Instagram questions, before we go into the main subject of the video, um, is quite heavy, well, not really a heavy question, but it's a big question. How can I get off of my addiction without rehab? Because they're Mm. all far too expensive.
0: Yeah. Rehabs um, are far too expensive. I think the the first one I went to was 10 grand. The second one was 17 grand. 17 grand, the second one. Yeah, because I did longer with the second one. The second one I did a month re- at residential. That was can I,
1: can, before you answer this question. Can you just inspired me to ask a question? Go on. What happens at rehab? Like, what's the what's? The, explain me like a a uh,
0: an example day of being in rehab. Rehab is just intense therapy. Well, they're all different, um, but the one I went to was intense therapy every single day, eight hours of therapy, group therapy, one-on-one therapy, different types of therapy, painting therapy um and you do life story you have to tell a whole group of people your life story from naught to five five to 10, 50, ten to now all of your traumas how and how they made you feel bearing in mind you never wanted to acknowledge how any of this felt you have to do it in front of a whole group of people that you don't know mm. um with no drugs you're just off the back of a binge normally as well so you're yeah. just detoxing and you are having to pour out all of this shit that you've buried for your whole life basically and- every day for 30 days I was Sometimes say, how, long, how long were you there for? Some yeah, I was there for 30 days. I think the first second time I was there for twenty five days that I got let out early and then I came back though and did an additional two months or three months doing two to three days a week non-residential. So basically I didn't sleep there. Went there for three days a week for a whole day of therapy and then came home. Mm. Um but yeah, it's painful, brutal. And but again, pain change. Pain yeah, yeah, yeah. equals change. Yeah. Um, so do you feel like you could do,
1: this is just out of interest, do you think that you could do a whole episode just or, on, like, rehab and stuff like that? Yeah. Or would that be pointless? Because I feel like I've got a million questions that I could ask you about rehab and stuff. I've yeah, always yeah, wanted yeah. to know, like, what happens. Like yeah, do we they, could. Is it, let's in, do my, that. in my head, yeah, let's do let's it. Do in, my, in my head, I imagine it being, don't, like, take offence to it. Well, you wouldn't take offence to it, but, like, in my head, I imagine it being, like, a spa day. No do you know what I mean? Like it's Absolutely. like a rehab place like There would every- be
0: there would be some that are like that, right, but they'd yeah. be about fifty grand a month. Oh right,
1: okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one in there's one, one in Arizona
0: that's in- fifty thousand dollars a month and that is ridiculously good. Mm. Like it's out in the middle of like um the forests. Yeah, and, that's what I thought it would. Um yeah, all in teepees and you're out about uh, sitting out inside a in and fire around fires and all that kind of stuff, yeah. and you have got proper spas, gyms, all yeah, of that. That's what I thought it was like. That's what I thought that yeah. in my head that there re- will be, there up. are, but you again, you got to be rich to go there. Yeah, what crackheads, rich, yeah. <laughs> what cocaine addicts, fucking rich, yeah, yeah, what heroin addicts or smackheads? <laughs> none of us, none of them are rich. They all need help, mm. they all need help, and they've got no money to go. So, answering the question. There is only really two places you can go. There's like your local drug centre which or local like addiction help centre which every county should have one and some are better than others but they don't really help. Uh, you can't get into rehab for free through them unless you turn up for six months consistently every week is normally the the basis of which they might then be able to recommend you to rehab for free which is for any addict nearly impossible because it's normally always a Saturday as well that you've got to turn up. So that's kind of a no. The other one is 12 step fellowships, which I did for two years and they helped me massively and they changed my life. And I met some of the most amazing people that are still in my life today, three or four in particular, Mm -hmm. um, that I love and I would die for. I love them that much. So, as much as i don't go anymore it served me so well and was the basis for my recovery and i have learned i learned so much from going um and then i obviously found things that worked for me that um that led me down a different path in in my road to staying clean and you know i haven't done now for two years now so it's um it's a 12-step program, which actually I'm not really supposed to say, so you'll have to blank that bit out. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, you have to say 12-step recovery program. Um, so, yeah, it, it is good and it is very helpful. Um, and it takes your your head a while to get round it. You just want to reject everything. You know, they, they say the word God a lot, which I hated, felt very religious, but, you know, it's not it, – it doesn't have to be. It can be if you choose for it to be. Um, 12-step fellowships can – the good thing about them, they're kind of, one of the sayings is you can take what you want and leave the rest, which is, um, yeah, which is really good. Um, so, yeah, go. I would suggest going to those to start off with. And it's all about building a community for yourself to get support and help. And there are people within those rooms that will help you for free. You know, they're people that have, like myself, four or five years clean, you'll meet people like myself that are willing to give you their time freely every single day, but you've got to be willing to take it from them. You'll be willing to take their number, call them, and you'll get something called a sponsor and you'll speak to them every day. That person is willing to give you their time every day and help you and show you how they, they got clean and sober. But you've got to be willing to go and do the work. And you can just, you have to have a mindset of ignoring the stuff that you don't like. You have, you have to go there and go, right, okay, I don't really like the word God, but I don't care. The biggest asset is the people mm-hmm. in them rooms. And that doesn't mean everyone, because some people you're going to hate. <laughs> some people you can listen to and think, what load of bollocks? Don't, don't like anything that you've said. But there will be one person, eventually, you keep going long enough, there'll be one person that you hear and you go, that's me. Mm-hmm. That is me. And, they're, and then they're talking, they're talking five years clean though. And you're like, how are they me? But they're clean. Bear in mind, if you go in there thinking that oh, none of this is going to work, there's people in this in that room that have done something you've never been able to achieve, and that is to stay clean. So, whatever your brain's telling you, don't listen. You know, go in there and with an open mind and and do the work that's given to you. Mm-hmm. And then outside of that, you know, my recovery program that I have now is like I've said before: it is meditation, it is breath work, it is connecting with a higher power, which again comes from twelve step fellowships um and journaling and i've been in therapy for four and a half years nearly so and my therapist is the same therapist that i went to rehab with so yeah i i just grabbed hold of everything i could mm. everything everything and i tried loads of things I that I i've just started going back to the gym but gym's not a massive vital thing for me but some people that work so so well so it's about Trying as many things as you can that are suggested from people like myself who have Mm. done the work and have got clean and listening to what they do and doing it consistently. Um, One of the other things that you have to do is disconnect from everyone in your life currently that uses drugs Mm. or whatever drug it is you're trying to stay away from, including alcohol. So Mm. it's imperative. Decision made, has to be made, cut. Send a message to all of them. I'm really sorry, but I need to change my life and this isn't serving me anymore. So you're not going to see me with, with at any point where drugs are going to be around. But I would love to see you and spend time with you doing other stuff if you are willing, but I understand if you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Firstly, what that will do is that will remove all the shit people out of your life yeah. because the ones that don't text you are the ones that don't give a shit and all they cared about was the session anyway. Mm-hmm. The second thing it'll do is show you who the good ones are. Mm-hmm. Because you might get, out of 10 people you message, I promise you there's probably only 10% that come back, which is one, maybe 20%, two people Mm. who will come back and say, I'm so sorry, but I'm so so sorry to hear how much you're struggling, but so proud of you, you know, for being open and being honest and also going out, and I'd love to do this with you. Mm. I think I had one person. Text everybody, sent an email to my whole work, where I used to work, and text everybody and just said, this is where I'm at, this is what I'm doing. And I think two people. Out of everybody, who wanted to continue spending time with the rest. Of the session was more important than our friendship.
1: Yeah, yeah. You realize that by doing that. Yeah,
0: yeah mm. exactly. Great, best thing I ever did. Yeah. yeah. Cut everybody out. Got Sounds to- like a negative shit thing, but actually, it's a really good thing. Oh, <laughs> it's a really good shit. It's a really good shift. It's a really good step to make because you don't. You will become the people that you spend time with. You will become your mm. friends. So if you want to maintain your friendships with people who use drugs, you will use drugs. I'm sorry, it's never gonna work. Mm-hmm. You have to accept that that life, that part of your life is done mm-hmm. and you're now gonna step into a new life. And bearing in mind, when I did that, I had one or two people, one of those two people was my brother. Rare, <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. he had to, yeah. <laughs> and the other one uh, was a mate of mine called Ross, who I don't really see that much anymore, um, but still still stay in touch with him. I, don't, I had to, basically I had zero friends. And then I had to build a friendship network from scratch. And one of the first friends that I made was Tim, who is my best friend and then became my sponsor. And now I don't even consider him my sponsor because he's not anymore, like we're just best friends. He is my best friend. And he he will be with me for the rest of my life without a doubt. I guess in
1: some ways you probably think as well that he had played a big hand in saving your life as well.
0: 100% because when I went in them rooms, I hated them. Mm hated the i hated 12-step fellowship rooms i hated it i hated everything they said but i didn't want to i didn't want to go back and he was the first person i met that i liked that i thought yeah, 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 yeah. he's a bit like me mm. he's he we're very similar actually and then like yeah i just spent more time with him. and then we we've actually lived together through lockdown for a whole year mm. <laughs> so um yeah he was just yeah he gave me so much time and love freely and he was six months clean when i met him so he's always been six months ahead of me. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's a bit younger than me, but I always look at him like an older brother. Yeah. Um, but now it's kind of got to this point where I used to always look up to him and now it's just, we help each other. Yeah. You know, he looks to me when he needs help and he'll come and speak to me and vice versa. Like, yeah. Again, that found that was all founded in in a 12-step fellowship room. So the, the fact that I don't go anymore is, is really irrelevant because they were so, so important. I just... I just found other ways that work for me outside of the rooms. And I always say that going to those 12-step fellowships isn't necessarily about the meeting itself. It's about the people in it. It's about what you take from those people outside of those meetings. It's about how much you're going to spend time with these people because, as I said, who you will become who you spend time with and who, you are friend, who your friends are. So if you start to befriend sober and clean people, you will stay sober and clean. Yeah. It's very simple. So... Those are some of the things that you can do. Um, it's it's very hard regardless of what direction you take it. Um, but, yeah, there is options available and, and that's what worked for me. Um, so, yeah, good luck to whoever it was that asked that question.
1: I see a huge episode on the horizon that's mm. all about rehab. And recovery. And recovery mm. and getting Tim in with you. Yes. You and him. Talking about that as a subject would be unreal as an episode. He's here next weekend. Okay, so the rest of the questions now are based around the topic of the video, which is trauma equals behaviours. And the first question on there, what were some of the worst things that you witnessed as a child from your mother?
0: Um, there's a lot. I'd say... The worst thing would be her overdosing in front of us. Um, yeah, more more than once, I'm sure, but at, definitely at least once I had to call an ambulance and I was only, I was definitely less than 10. Mm. I'd say around eight. And I had to call an ambulance to... Come and take my mum away, and it looked as though she was dead on the floor, just like that just lying on the floor alcohol bottles pills all over the place so that was that will always stick in my mind and the other one that always that always sticks in my mind is is her being so drunk and off her face, she was just like walking through the kitchen, laughing her head off whilst pulling her tights down, walking forwards and just started pissing into the bin in the kitchen. Mm. And it was just like, I was standing, I remember just again being similar sort of age, just watching her and it was like I just was invisible. Mm. Like I didn't exist because she just didn't care about the obs- like how obscene her behaviour was. Mm. It's just like total carelessness, like total don't give a shit. And yeah, that was they're they're probably the two worst ones that I can remember. They always stick with me. But there's countless times where she just didn't turn up to school to pick me up, so I'd have to wait for my nan to come and get me. Um, or she'd come to school pissed, you know, embarrassing like that, things like that. It was just, could never rely on her for anything. But the the harder thing was it wasn't always like that because pre-alcoholism, she was a really loving mum, mm. very affectionate. Like, I'm very similar to her tactile-wise, as in I love affection. Yeah, yeah. And I was very female-orientated because dad was always working, so she was my primary caregiver. Yeah, yeah so she was my everything basically all my love affection everything all my time and attention was all based around her mm-hmm. to then that being taken away mm. to this monster yeah. turning up who doesn't care about you anymore doesn't doesn't want to be your mom doesn't want to be alive mm. yeah and she just like i asked her as well about like what what she did and she basically used to drop us to school and then just go and get steaming on in the park by herself Really? Yeah. yeah and then like she'd whether she'd be fit state or enough to not to come and get us yeah so that's something that you can get the kind of essence of what her behavior was about and how it would have how I perceived it as a child mm-hmm. yeah so yeah that's it
1: yeah well that's a heavy answer <laughs> um how did those traumas specifically develop in your behavior as an adult?
0: Hatred of women, um, but also a massive desperate need for women. Mm. So a huge conflict within me.
1: Basically a mirror of what you experienced as a kid, right?
0: Yeah. So one, I was desperate for a girlfriend always couldn't not be with well, as soon as i came of age at a young age i remember being obsessed with older girls because i was always looking to, for that replacement mm. so i wanted a, an older girl like a 13 14 year old maybe at like eight or nine mm. and hoping that they'll be my girlfriend and look after me you know and just love me and like what I, what i'd lost i was looking for yep. um but bear in mind like i'm talking i'm speaking about this now from a conscious mind And so I know all this was happening. So everything I explained to you now about these behaviours, I didn't know. Mm. I didn't know at the time why I was doing them. They were subconscious. So everything was happening without me knowing. I was doing all these things and I didn't know why. So, yeah, I had a hatred for women and also a massive desperate need and love for women. So like a a disrespect and a complete craving and desire for them at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because I hated them and loved them at the same time. I was def- desperate to be loved and looked after, but I didn't trust them. Mm-hmm. Didn't trust them at all. Didn't trust them to, to be reliable or to show up for me or to love me consistently or care for me. So mm-hmm. that created a really toxic type of person when it came to like relationships as well. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine how that manifested. You know, I was very disloyal, uh, cheated on girls all the time. I didn't, I viewed, I viewed object, I viewed women as an object, You know, because I got later on, as I got 15, 16, I asked a a lad, I won't mention his name, and I was like, I remember him giving me this advice saying that our women are just things. You know, he was a bit of a stupid lad that basically was just trying to sleep with as many girls as possible. He was a bit older, he was two years older than me. I think I must have been 15. And I'm bearing in mind I've got no adults in my life, so I'm listening to this. Yeah, 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 of course. Taking it on. And, 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 you know, it was like to not really care about women and, you know, they're just things to, to play with. You know, that was kind of the, the, the advice I was given, you know, which at that point I was looking up to these people. So I listened um and it kind of enforced, reinforced my general beliefs of women anyway, in terms of them just being horrible and nasty and just going to let you down and, mm-hmm. Um, there was other reasons I have negative thoughts about women, but I'll go on to that because I know one of the other questions will be about my dad. So, um, so yeah, that's some of the behaviours. And then how to expand on how those behaviours or those feelings and thoughts developed, you know, oh, my obsession with women got me in so much trouble. You know, like, I, I, and also my relationships with people in general, like, because I didn't trust anyone. So I always thought that someone was going to hurt me at some point. So that basically made me feel like everybody was disposable. No, I wouldn't ever let anybody be close to me, really. Mm -hmm. I would get close to people, but then I'd push them away through some sort of seen behaviour, absurd behaviour. Like, for example, I'd always only have, like, one close friend and then for some reason I'd fuck that up through some of my stupid behaviour, normally, but to do with girls. Um, but I remember one of my friends, Ross, he, different Ross, not the same one I mentioned earlier, he, uh, he had split up with his girlfriend and he'd injured himself playing football and we went to a party and then, um, split up with his girlfriend the day before his girlfriend was at that party, ex-girlfriend, should I say, was at that party. And I was about 15, I, I guess, 14 or 15. And he, he was on crutches. So he lived about a 15 minute walk away. So I walked home with him. I loved him. He's my best mate at that time. He was my best mate. Walked him home, um, made sure he got home all right. And then I went back to the party and got with his ex-girlfriend because I, I just like wanted the attention or I wanted, you know, I, I can't even, how do I put it into words. I wanted to be wanted. That's it. I wanted to be wanted by every girl I could possibly be wanted by because that made me feel good. Mm. I wanted to be wanted by everybody. Um, and when I got what I wanted... That was never enough, so or I didn't trust them enough. I didn't want to be with them because you know I wanted to be with them because they made me feel wanted, but then when they when that wore off, they were then disposable objects to me mm. um or I would just cheat on them and you know make that push them away anyway my my pattern of behavior was fall in love and destroy it, fall in love, destroy it, fall in love, destroy it. I didn't. It wasn't like I was being honest with people. Oh, I just want to have sex. You know, I just want to. You know, it's yes, as I got a bit old, bit older as well. I was convincing people that I was falling in love with them because I genuinely thought at the time I was. Yeah. I but love, then, love I, bombing, yeah, love bombing them, and then, and then after a time, realizing actually I can't even love. I can't love anyone. Mm. I can't love them. Um, not because I because I knew that I didn't love myself, but that wasn't what I knew. I just thought, oh, I don't like him anymore or i don't trust them or you know i'd always find holes in in them in them as people and then just break up with them or yeah just drop things and yeah having affairs and all kinds of stuff and even things like wanting to prove that women were horrible by for example if i saw someone was married that would be something that i would i would like to entertain to try and sleep with them Mm. because that would prove my theory of how of how awful women were Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And sometimes succeeding. But all I was doing all along was showing myself that I'm the monster. Mm. No one else. But what I thought at the time is that I was convincing that everybody else is monsters. But no, yeah. really what yeah. what I actually was doing was destroying myself by showing myself how awful I am. Mm. You know, so, God, yeah, it's mad how long I could go on for and, and show how many behaviours that came from from my mum. Mm. You know, so what else is there that I can think of I guess yeah that dysfunctionality with women and yeah just total disrespect and disregard for them as well so but then yeah having that complete and utter dependency on them at the same time Mm. so yeah huge conflict but again didn't know any of that was happening just thought I was living my life and didn't meet the right you girl just yet. at
1: the time that was normal to feel that
0: way. Well, right? yeah, and also I was kind of looking at the people around me, and and again, you attract what you are. So the people around me were similar; and they were doing the same things, like in relationships, breaking up, cheating on their girlfriends, and do you know what I mean? You always attract yeah, what course. you are, right? Yeah. So I always had, and that kind of validated what I was doing, made me feel like I was just normal and there was nothing really wrong with it. And don't get me wrong, I guess there is an element to being able to make mistakes and be stupid as a young man. And you learn from all of these lessons, but I wasn't learning anything. I didn't make one mistake once and then do it, not do it again. I was constantly repeating the same shit, mm. hurting women over and over again and not giving a shit. Mm. You know, and it, it really, yeah, it turned me into a really horrible person.
1: And similar to the other question, um, what were some of the worst things that you witnessed as a child
0: from your father's side? The violence was the biggest one. Um, He's a really violent and horrible man. His voice was so sharp and loud and it just cut through you with absolute fear the minute he would get through through the door from work, I would be terrified immediately. Mm. And... Even if you hadn't done anything wrong? Like- oh, because No, because I'd always done something wrong. Mm. Whether I did or not, I had done something wrong. Mm. His sole purpose would be to walk... In life, when he came through the door, his sole purpose would be to find something, mm. to be, go mental about. Mm. There was no there was no level one, two, and three with him. It was 10 only. And that was just, I would just run and hide mm. the minute he got through the house. As soon as I heard the car, I'd go and hide to try and stay away. Mm. Yeah. And then he'd come find you and just slap the shit out of you to the point where you're wetting yourself. Mm. And it was just, yeah, it was brutal. It was horrible. I was terrified of him every mm. single day. Um, And he, yeah, I remember I used to, trying when this was after my mum had left even and i used to get ready i used to get up early and try and get ready and leave before school sorry
1: so there there was a time when your mum left that situation did she go to
0: rehab or anything no she just left that situation
1: and moved on and just left left
0: you there's more there's more well there's more because we went to loads of hostels leaving my dad my mum used to wake us up in the night and she'd be crying her eyes out. She'd have a face black and blue from where my dad had beat the shit out of her. With my dad didn't ever fist a fist uh use his fists with the children, but he'd use the palm of his hand. So he'd he'd hit as hard as he would, but only with his palm. Yeah. And never on the face. Always like body, back, bum, legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but he would punch my mum. Mm. And I saw saw so much of that. But she would wake us up in the night and say, Zach, like, I'm leaving. Do you want to come with me? And then I went with her loads of times, you know, I had like five different lower schools because we left and came back and left and came back and they were awful as well. All the kids in there were just fucking mental and mm-hmm. all the abused children. And, you know, you got beaten up, bullied, I got hit in the face with a metal pole, my fucking face swollen out here. Um, so yeah, that was a whole traumatic experience in itself. Um, but, yeah, she. the last time she left to a hospital, I didn't go with her because I'd had enough. Mm. And stupidly, part of me thought if I'd got my father to myself, maybe he'd love me. Maybe mm. we'd have like a really close relationship. Maybe I'd get what he had with my brother. Mm. And that didn't happen. But I used to, yeah, going back to what I was saying, I was, used to get ready, try and get ready for, before 7am and leave before he did. Because I knew if I didn't, I'd get hit before I left for school. And I remember one day I was walking down the stairs, and I heard him just shout my name in the way that he did. This horrible hack and I was just like I just started running. He just said, "Where's my key? He shouted, "Where's my keys?" And I just ran down the stairs. Well, so I ran to go down the stairs, and he ran round and caught me on the stairs, hit me so hard that I'd wet myself. And then I had to just go. And then he went and found his keys on his own, and then he just left, mm. just for nothing. Mm. Do you know what I mean, it was, it got to the point where he didn't even have an excuse anymore. Mm. He was just vile for the sake of being vile. Mm. And that, then I'd have to go back, then I had to go back upstairs and get changed my pants, change my change my whole uniform. So i pissed on myself on all of it. Mm. And it, like, he just didn't give a shit. And I questioned him about that not, not long ago. And I said to him about that. And he said, Oh, you always had a problem with your black, with going to the toilet. That was his yeah. response. Fobbed it off on you. Yeah, it was my fault. Mm. So I, I was—I'd never wanted to punch him so much in all my life. Been mm. there's been a lot of times where I've wanted to punch him, but mm. but that was just what he was. That was that's just him. He's just now he's in complete denial of it all. So I guess from him it was all of the violence. You know, I see him smash my mum's head through a sink, mm. through the bathroom sink, and punching her in the face. And then he—I would always try and defend my mum. I'd always try and like stop him from beating her up and I don't remember loads of that. My mum told me more about that when I, when I got clean. I asked her like, did I ever try and protect you? Because I had this, it's another dev- behaviour I'll tell you about. So I always went for women like my mum mm. who were broken, sad mm. and needed my, me to protect them. And I was doing therapy on this and I wanted to understand why my girlfriends always seem to be similar damsels in distress yeah. or have been hurt in some way and need looking after and I said to my mum, did I ever try and like protect you in any way? And she said, yeah, she said, you was good at it. She said, you would jump on my dad's, I'd jump, jump on my dad's back while he was beating her up and try and stop him. This is even when I was a little kid. Mm. Um, or she said, I had, a, I was very good at saying things that were so uh, vile to him that would distract him from her to me. Mm. And then he would beat me up instead of beating her up. Mm. So, then that stayed with me for life into the point where it's there subconsciously controlling what type of women I went for. Yeah, yeah. You know, women who were in some way damaged, mm. you know, through whatever and needed someone to love and look after them. Mm-hmm. And that was always what I went for. Mm. Subconsciously. I didn't know. So yeah, again, you see another trauma that I witnessed developed into a long life, long time long term life behaviour.
1: What was that? What was like the Worst of the worst thing that you ever saw him
0: do? I ever saw him do. Either
1: either to you or to someone
0: else. I would say it was smashing her head through the sink, yeah. Yeah. That sounds brutal. Yeah, it snapped the sink in half. Mm. As in the whole thing shattered. Mm. And then her head was just bleeding out at the back. And he was vile to the dogs as well. He used to beat the dogs up. Remember that? It was horrible. He used to... Yeah. We had so many dogs growing up because... We, to, we had to to get rid of them because my dad beat them up so bad mm. we couldn't have them and then my, I think it would be a case of him feeling bad about doing something to my mum and she'd say I want another dog so she'd get a dog and then he'd beat the dog up and then it got that some of them got so violent that to be one had to be put down mm. because my dad made it so violent mm. um, he bit my dad on my hand dad on the hand he bit my mum on the tit on the breast should I say sorry and um, and then he bit my name my 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 brother's friend who played in the same football team and bit his nose from there to there, ripped his nose like that. Really? Yeah, so he had to be put down and then we had dogs that were just given away and I don't know why they carried on doing it. I think it was my dad's attempt at trying to keep my mum there because mm. as much as he hated her, he did want to make the relationship work and back then you didn't you didn't kind of, you didn't split up, did you, as much? you know, going back 20 odd years, yeah, yeah. Oh, even 30 years, should I say, you didn't, you didn't divorce and they were religious as well. You know, they were highly religious in, in being Jehovah witnesses. So mm. there were so many things that was keeping them together, mm. but yeah, they should have, should have broke up a long, a long time before. Mm. So, yeah.
1: And those, um, same as the, the other question with your, your mom as well. How did those traumas develop in your behavior as an adult from, from the dad side?
0: I guess always needing validation would be one. Because I always wanted, I I always because he was so nasty as well and vile about how he'd speak to me and the things he'd say, just put you down. Always constantly tell you that you were nothing and that you were worthless. So I'd say they had that had more of an effect on me than the violence. Mm. Violence, I don't, I can't. The only thing, well, it did because I I hit women at school. I had, I I remember three incident incidents where I'd hit girls. Um. Mm and because i thought that was normal but that obviously didn't that stopped when i came of an age where i started to hate my dad for who he was and what he was doing as opposed to just thinking what he did was normal um so that was one one thing that came from it and but i think the hate the self-hatred as well was doubled with what my mum was doing and also the way that he spoke to me but not only that the way he treated my brother he loved my brother you know he didn't treat him anything like he treated us mm. he treated all three we have, I have three siblings so four of us all together three of us so got, yeah three of us got treated like absolute shit and my brother got a totally different life
1: at the same time same time so literally he'd be that way to you and yeah. at the same time be so nice to
0: yeah
1: and you yeah, had never found out why that was
0: I don't know. No, what I, could
1: what could make a person be like?
0: Oh, me? sorry. Well, I know why me. So my so he beat my mother up so badly once. My mother told him when I was young that I wasn't his son, mm. just to be vicious to him, and he never knew whether or not I was. I think, right, okay. and I think that made him hate me, mm. or maybe yeah, question whether or not I was his son. But he later on, when I was like nineteen or something, got drunk and said that he kn- he knew I was his son. Mm. And all this shit. But, but because i looked different as well so all the other three looked the same but i don't i i look like my mum or i'm like blonde i've got i had blonde hair blue eyes everybody else was dark hair uh sorry my sister my little sister had blonde hair as well but she had everybody else had dark eyes and they all kind of looked lot like, like my dad mm. so um did yeah the, did
1: like even even your sister experience the same things yeah. as you guys as well oh god from, yeah. from your dad and from yeah. your
0: mum, yeah yeah Especially my middle sister. So me and my older sister are the middle children. Um, and my little sister also got violence as well. But me and my older sister got the worst. Really? By a long way, yeah. I might even say Chloe got hit worse than me. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, brutal. Yeah, it was mm. so, so brutal. Um, but they yeah, manifested, manifested in so many different ways. I could go on and on and on about how how dysfunctional I was. Mm. Uh, yeah but this is the other thing you never you never see it you don't you always just blamed everyone else mm. you, always, you never thought to look at what was what happened to to what's happened in my life and I used to get asked when I got to like 19, 20 about you know stuff I'd been through and stuff like that and when you, you know when you're doing coke and you're sitting around a table and it gets deep I used to talk about all this stuff and everyone used to be like how the fuck you cope through that, and I was like didn't really bother me, really. I just became life to a certain degree, it did, but that what that was was my my child at the time at that time, my brain had, had developed a way to stop feeling pain. Mm. I just became numb to it, but at that point I became very angry, mm. you know, and that's where the change kind of set. it just happened, and then I couldn't reverse it. That was where I basically shut off my feelings and disconnected from everyone, mm. and it never got back until I was thirty. I never started to really open up and trust and feel things until I was 30 years old and I stopped drinking and stopped taking drugs and started doing therapy and Mm. started to invest in myself and understand myself. Spent my whole life numb, essentially, and not feeling things and not loving people and not allowing people into my life and not trusting anyone, Mm. never having real friends, never having real relationships, all because of all these things that had happened to me. So, yeah.
1: Mm. And that does lead on nicely to the next question, which was um, what of the behaviors were the hardest to get rid of and why?
0: Women. Mm. Because it was there the longest. Yeah. So, women was the primary addiction, I think. My addiction started, yeah, around, around sort of eight when my mum, when I started to be conscious of my mum's behaviour maybe younger than that, actually, maybe six or seven, where I was conscious of what my mum was doing and the loss and the, and then, re, then looking at women as a way to fix me, hmm. to make me feel safe and feel loved. That would have been the hardest one because it's been there for my whole life. Hmm. That would be the hardest behaviour to... Lo- lots of them were really hard though, you know. I think the other one I'd probably say would be one of the biggest was loving myself was yeah not thinking I'm a monster and not mm. and not hating who I was anymore. That that took a long time. Mm. That was the, the
1: next question was actually what behaviours did you hate the most about yourself? So would that be that? What did I
0: hate the most? I hated I will oh I hated nearly all of myself to be honest. But like loads I hated the way I treated women. Mm. I hated being dishonest I hated not having friends. I hated, yeah, yeah, I'd say they're some of the biggest ones. Yeah, I hate. I hated the way I was, yeah, with women, just to completely disrespect them and just throw them away like objects. It was just awful. And, you know, I was breaking hearts. And don't get me wrong, like, obviously I was young and there's obviously a certain degree of well, that always happens, but yeah. the careless nature in which I did it and repeatedly did it, Uh, without any consideration for how it made people feel I'd say I hate I hate I hated that the most and I think triggers I have today is when anybody accuses me of being anything like what I used to be because I hate so much of it Mm, I, I, I pretty much hate every single part of me that was that was manifested based on what happened to me right yeah yeah you know it wasn't because that's not who I was. If I would go back to being the child, you know, I was the sweetest, loveliest, kindest little boy, most affectionate, loving, caring, and considerate little young man you'd ever met. Mm. Loved animals. Loved, loved, love. Loved being like having being playful and 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 having friends and just being affectionate with everybody around me and caring for for things around me and just being inquisitive and sweet yeah that was that was who i was and then the adult version of me was nothing like that mm. the total well if you'd asked so many exes you'd get to know you, you they'd say that they got to see that version of me but only in glimpses because then i'd blow it all up yeah, yeah. so it was almost like that little part of me was there but was afraid to be out and let people see them yeah. for long because he thought he would get hurt if he if he stayed if he stayed in control
1: Mm-hmm. yeah and and i suppose that also leads nicely into how did the behaviors make you feel about yourself i guess back that's double-edged as well because how did it make you feel back then mm. compared to how does it make you feel now obviously you seem very regretful of how you felt or what you did back then but how did it make you feel at the time how did it make you feel about yourself
0: lost i felt so lost i couldn't understand why I was the way I was. I didn't... Yeah, I didn't... Up until when I started using drugs, because that became the identity then. That became... Right, I'm Jack the Lad. Um, I'm just... Yeah, I love to sesh, love to party. I'm the life and soul. Nothing can hurt me. I'm fearless. Until I created that, which is where I basically became that perversion of myself, which wasn't me either. But well, it was something that I claimed prior to that point. Didn't know who I was. I didn't understand why I did the things I did. I remember like that story about sleeping with um, my friend's ex-girlfriend the day after they'd split up. He said to me, like, why did you do that? I was like, I don't know. I don't know why I did it, and I did it years before as well with the same guy. He was ta- talking to a girl on MSN Messenger. Do you remember when that was yeah, a thing? Yeah. yeah? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, like, I got I got her Addy thing, whatever it was, and then I started trying to chat her up and saying that I was like, I'd be better for her than Ross. Yeah. And he, and he again same thing. He's like, why? What are you doing? I'm your friend. Like we're mm. we're pals. Mm. I think almost to the point where he knew that other people had kind of distanced themselves from me because I was a dick. Mm. And he'd kind of been like, no, look, I've kind of tried to see the good in you. Like we get on. Like we're pals. Like I got him a job on my market stall. We worked together. Like why did you do that? And I just I didn't know. I didn't have an answer for him. I didn't have an answer for why I behaved the way I did and why I said and did the things that I did. Like it didn't make sense because none of it reigned true to how I felt about these people. You know, in terms of I I really loved that friend. I really cared for him and I really appreciated his friendship. But mm. my actions didn't show it. Mm. You know, and I, I couldn't understand. Like I said, I was just conflicted all the time. Mm. I was always two parts of me: part of me that people really liked, and a part of me that everybody hated. Mm. And I feel like that was probably one of the biggest things that happened. I had this this Jacqueline Hyde thing where it was like create and destroy. You know, create things through being the kind, lovely version of you that people get on with, but then destroying it by being a monster.
1: Mm. Was that um quick question? This is not even in here, but was that? Was that quite difficult um, from the perspective of obviously the first step of changing anything like that is just making the decision to not be like that and be labelled as that anymore? Was that quite difficult to not necessarily convince other people, but was it annoying to have people be like, oh, no, don't do that with Zach because he's
0: like this? But you're like, no, no, I'm really changing this time. Was that frustrating at that point to... Well, the thing is, because I'd separated myself from everybody in my life anyway, I didn't have that many people. There was right. only one person where that would be true, and that was Archie's mum. Mm. And she would basically, she still even says, "Was no. that
1: frustrating? Is that for? That must be frustrating, though, right? To know that, to it know did. in your head that you've changed, but have someone constantly it did. It, about it your used past. to
0: be. It used to be when I, when I, when I cared so much about what others thought of me, mm. which I did for a long time of my first. And I'd say only in the last sort of couple of years has that gone." But for the first couple of years, I cared what everyone thought of me. Mm. Um, so when people would say damaging things about my character, especially if they were true in the past, that would really be yeah, very, I meant, very yeah. frustrating. Yeah, I, it would trigger me massively, yeah. make me so angry because I'm like, I'm working so hard. You have no idea how hard this is, and I know I've done wrong and I know I've hurt people, but I'm not that person anymore. And I'm working every day. And this is the thing, people don't actually see that part. Yeah, they, sure. they don't see what's going on behind the scenes and how hard you're working. Mm-hmm. They also don't know all the things I've just told you about what I went through that got me to that place in the first place. So they don't have, no, they don't have any compassion mm. or any understanding. They just have judgment on your oh. actions that have hurt them, mm. which is understandable. But at the same time, it's so frustrating when you know you're working your absolute hardest to become the best version of you and for a lot of part time as well, people doubt your recovery as well. Like, oh yeah, you're never going to do it. Yeah, that
1: sort of thing I can imagine. You're never
0: going to do it. Like, you're this, you're that. You're never going to do it. Just do makes
1: it. your job ten times harder as well than what you've got to do, Depend- if, you, if you care about
0: it Yeah, sometimes it does, sometimes it don't. For me, I'm, I'm someone, if someone tells me I can't do something, then I'm going to fucking do it. Do you know what I mean? If someone says you won't make it, I'll fucking make it. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, really. So, if anything, they just made it easier for me but yeah. for a lot of people people getting doubted like that especially when they're working you that hard
1: you won't you won't turn my film company into a million pound film
0: company. <laughs> watch <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah it was frustrating for sure
1: mm. Mm. what was the most surprising thing when learning about your behaviors so i guess when you went through your discovery process and learn about your behaviors what was the most surprising thing
0: uh, how much of what was wrong with me came from what my mum did. But well, I think that was probably the most surprising thing because I was always like... I spent like, all my life hating my dad. I hated him more than anything. I didn't really not... I didn't really hate my mum at all until I got a lot older, until I got probably clean, actually, I'd say, mm-hmm. because that was when I realised. Yeah. So I, I kind of always loved my mum anyway. Um... I still do to a certain degree. I just don't like her <laughs> because I don't value. I, I don't when I don't respect someone's values and I don't respect the way they behave. Then I don't like them. I don't care if you're my family or not. So, so yeah, I was really surprised when I did the work that how much of my behaviour was that I didn't like about myself came from what she did. Mm. You said you said how long you saw there when you asked about my mum. All the things I listed out and my dad. There was only like a few yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's only short for him way more from what my mum did yeah. because my relationship with her was more important to me. Of course, yeah, He of course. was working most of the time. Mm-hmm. So she was the person I spent most of the time with. So that was, yeah, the loss of her wasn't as big as a loss of him because he wasn't really there anyway. Mm-hmm. So the loss of her and all the things I saw her do, you know, even things like taking drugs all the time that taught me from a young age, taking drugs is fine. Yeah. yeah, You know, even though it's prescription pills, but still and for getting off her face on alcohol like, okay cool you're teaching me that as well like these all manifested into behaviors as i got older i copied yeah. it i just learned what she did and did the same mm. so yeah i was really surprised because i hated my dad because i, rem- I remember more so the physical violence because that has an impact on you right and you remember all of that you don't, you don't you don't remember so much of the emotional trauma that you suffer as opposed to the physical trauma Physical is more impactful memory-wise, I think, for some reason. Yeah, of course. It might be that uh, the emotional stuff, that because it's more painful that you bury it deeper. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you probably easily point it to the physical violence because it's so easily uh, memorable.
1: Well, like it's like the thing of emotional abuse is much harsher than physical abuse. Yeah. Because your bruises and stuff go off for a while, but... Yeah, ocean, I, I, so I can really I can't really
0: it. say that, that physical violence really other than like I said, it had that effect on in terms of I thought it was okay to hit girls, which obviously I learned later on that it definitely wasn't. But other than that, violence if anything, it made me not a violent person. I'm not a violent person at all. Like and it also makes me detest violence yeah. in every single way. So I feel like, if anything, it kind of gave me a positive out of that one. Yeah.
1: Mm. Mm. So um, And what was the most frustrating thing about these behaviours as a result of the trauma?
0: Uh, the most frustrating thing, I think, was repeated in the same thing over and over again. Like, you make a mistake, you hate yourself for it, then you go and do it again. Mm. Two weeks later, three weeks later, three months later, and then you feel sorry, you feel bad. Like for, just for example, cheating. Mm. You know, I felt so I get caught cheating to someone that I genuinely did love. I thought at I thought I loved, and didn't, didn't know how to really love, mm. and then see how much pain they were going through because of what I'd done, because of how much they loved me.
1: Mm.
0: Them forgiving me then go and do it again.
1: Yeah,
0: It's like, that was frustrating because, again, it didn't make sense. I didn't, that's not who I wanted to be. Mm. But I couldn't stop myself basically doing, um, living off of my my trauma. I was living in a way to protect myself from being hurt. Yeah. And although it was hurting me, what I thought was getting hurt would be somebody, so the, my my thought process behind the whole cheating thing was, If I do it first, when you do it to me, it won't hurt. Mm. Because you will do it to me. Mm. Because you will hurt me. And if I cheat on you, I don't care about you as much. So if I lose you, it doesn't hurt. Mm. That was all everything I did was about, was to try and keep myself safe, to keep myself protected from getting hurt in the way that I was when I was young. Mm -hmm. But it manifested in lots of crazy behaviors and again all subconscious never knew why couldn't understand why that's the frustrating thing it's like why do you why why are you doing any of this it doesn't make no fucking sense and
1: back then at the time you didn't ever think to yourself why right No. it
0: was just it's just like now yeah i was a kid i never looked at myself mm. I, I did and when i got older as well i did think why but, but it was so buried this is the thing with trauma it's so well locked away You know, I'd convinced myself in order to cope, I'd convinced myself that it didn't hurt me. So I wouldn't look there. Mm. I wouldn't, I'd buried it and locked it away so tightly that my brain had said, don't look in that direction. So it never occurred to me to look there Mm. because as far as I was concerned, I was fine. That stuff didn't hurt. None of that stuff affected me in any way, shape or form. So why would I look there? Because that was my, the way my brain had created a coping mechanism to, to survive that trauma, which was to tell myself, it hadn't affected you, you're totally fine. Yeah. You know. So i would created like a lock around that. So when I was looking at these behaviours, my body and brain would never allow me to look there. Mm. Wouldn't let me think that that it was a with it kind of thing. No, not at all.
1: Yeah. What other types of traumas can impact a person's decisions and behaviours and in what way?
0: So there's the biggest and most obvious one I'd say is abandonment. So if you grow up without a parent, mm. and I've seen it in, in women, I've seen it in men, and it manifests in very di- in lots of different ways. But for example, a woman who doesn't have a dad, a girl who grew up without a father, will be desperate for male attention and will act out in ways and, and, and will also put up with anything for a man. They could treat him like absolute shit. They don't care. They will keep going back and keep going back because the thought of them not being there is catastrophic. It is so painful. So they'll just, they don't know that, but that's how their brain is working. subconsciously. they'll do anything to keep a man close. Mm. You know, and the same with m- myself, like I was doing anything to, to get with women constantly mm. saying whatever I could to, to make someone want me because I wanted to feel wanted because nothing was worse than not being wanted by my mum. So I had to make every woman want me. Mm. You know, same thing. So I feel like abandonment is probably one of the biggest ones. And anybody who's got an absent parent without another good parent stepping in, for example, having a good stepfather that came in. But even still, when that happens, the fact that your own father or your own mother didn't want you or didn't care enough about you to be involved in your life sends a message to you subconsciously that you are not worthy and you are not lovable and that you are not wanted and that will stay with you for your life until you unpack it and undo the damage that that's caused. So if you're if you're running around right now with that previous life trauma um, with you and you haven't done anything, you are constantly going to be behaving in a way that's attributed 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 to not having a parent involved in your life. Mm. Mm. there is many many more, but yeah, I'd say that's one of the biggest ones.
1: And the next one is actually a question. I think I've asked you something similar to this before, um, but do you think that you've managed to remove all behaviours installed in you from your traumas? I think that's a really good question, actually. This is the thing,
0: right? At many stages over the last four and a bit years, I've thought I'm healed. <laughs> I thought I've 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 done it. Like I've I've cured, mm. you know, I've, I've worked through all of the behaviours and I've got rid of them all. I'm fucking so happy, I'm so proud. And then within a matter of weeks, something happens that triggers me, that I react in a way that I don't like mm. and then I have to look at it and go, where does that come from? And I can link it back to my dad or my mum. Mm. Even it's, nowadays? Or, even or now, or, uh, the or other day, day, two days ago, I ripped my son's head off verbally because I was so disappointed and so angry but I spoke to him in such a vicious way because I wanted him to feel upset because he didn't seem to care about what it is that he'd done wrong at all and I started off in a calm way because he wasn't really bothered about what had happened I stepped it up and I kind of just switched into this completely different person that was very much the way my dad used to speak to me mm. that's not me mm. that's my dad He's still there That's another behaviour I need to let go. What was the trigger? The same things that triggered him was basically he worked, he did work extremely hard, three or four jobs at a time to pay and provide for everything. And he hated it if something got broken or something got lost or just wasn't cared for that he'd worked really hard to get. And that's what Archie did. He had lost two items that I had bought him brand new for his birthday. And within a week, they're both gone. And something about that snapped inside my head and made me react exactly the same way he would. Obviously, other than the physical violence, Mm. but yeah, I was quite really, really strong with him about how I was speaking to him about how, you know, how little he cares and how he's going to make him a a sport brat and blah blah blah. And it was to the point where he was in tears, and I I kind of, I did want him to be upset because I feel like again, pain is is. It's the hardest thing about being a parent. Sometimes is is, is allowing your child to suffer mm. to learn a really painful lesson. But there's a, I think, a line that I certainly crossed and went too far with when I, with the way I spoke to him. And the next day, I had to go back and apologize to him. And, and I said to him that wasn't good enough for me, and I'm sorry, and I need, mm. I should have done better. And we spoke about it and found a different way and a different solution to to what to do moving forward. But it was. So again, yeah, it's 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 still there. There's still, there's always going to be things that are going to come out because your parents are where you learn everything from. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's where, and you'll be so shocked at how much of you is like them. Like you might go, I hate my dad because he's like this, but you are like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, you'll have that. You
0: have that behaviour. The reason you hate it is because you do it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, that's, that's one of the biggest things that we don't Do you think like the to way accept. Of, the only way of getting rid of that is to be aware of it is to be aware of it and yeah it. it's about looking at yourself it is the biggest one of the biggest and most profound growth and he- healing statements is that everybody is a mirror to you mm. so anything you see in somebody that you don't normally like is normally because they're showing you something that, if it really triggers a response in you not if you just go, oh, yeah, I really don't like that. But if you get an emotional response to something that is, and then makes you act in a way that you don't actually value and you don't like, it's because they've shown you something about yourself that you don't like. Mm. It's not because you don't like what they're doing. It's because that's something that you don't like about you. Yeah, right. Yeah. They've, they've just hold, shown a mirror to you. Um, and that's what loads of people don't know. They don't understand that actually, I'm not just upset because of what they're doing. I'm upset because what they're doing is something that I do. And that i hate about myself mm. and that's that's the thing that people i think should learn the most that's the biggest healing tool i think anybody can have so if somebody's a triggering an emotional response in you is because they've unearthed something you don't like about yourself that you're that you want to change that you need to change mm. so remove the emotion away from them and look inwards when that situation occurs and you can it just and it also takes the sting out of it as well because you stop getting so angry in the situation you start to look at yourself and go oh Actually, you've just shown me where I need to work Mm. on myself. Thank you. Mm. You know, you can change your perspective like that.
1: Mm. And what what do you wish that you did differently in life
0: surrounding your behaviours? I wish that at a younger age I, I was helped more. So I wish that I was given therapy at a young age to show me how these behaviors could and would manifest into different, um, these traumas could manifest into different behaviors as I got older and was made aware of it so that I could, I could try and get better and try and not go through so many years of suffering and not knowing why I was behaving the way I was. Um, I wish, if you're looking at my healing journey as well now, so for the last four years, if you're looking at that point, I wish I did breath work and cold water therapy from the start mm-hmm. and meditation. I wish I did them every day from the start. I started doing meditation right at the beginning and I did it for about nine months, but I wish I never gave up. Mm. I wish I was consistent and and I wish I found breath work and I wish I found journaling as well. All those things. If I, could, I wish I could have done them because they would have helped me a lot. They would have helped me grow and heal a lot faster, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: What, um, when you do meditations and stuff, what sort of uh, are you doing? Like guided meditations, or do you just listen to music and sit with your thoughts? Or
0: different, different. Um, yeah, I like I like. There's like Astro called Astro something. There's an Astro meditation thing. that's called where you like ex, ex, exit your body basically. Right, and yeah. I can do that on my own, but there are some good guided ones. I do a bit of both, but I think once you've learned meditation, you can just listen to music and, and yeah, you can yeah, take yeah, it whatever yeah. direction you want. Yeah. So you can do the out-body experience. You can do the inner child experience. Um, you can do the observational experience where you're just looking at your thoughts and watching what comes up for you and seeing what's what's going on for you as mm. opposed to being in them, giving your mind a break. Um, and then there's the alpha meditative experience as well, where you get yourself into an ultimate alpha meditative state where – it's almost like a loose. It's almost like a dream that you're in control of. Mm. So yeah, there's a, there's a few different ones that you can do with different outcomes for each of them.
1: It's mm. probably a whole episode that you could do on meditation as well, to be honest. But yeah, um, with with that, I remember just quickly before going to the last question, you have got one more question. Awesome. Um, with that, I remember someone telling me about this meditation. I can't remember. It's like a monk meditation or something. Mm. But basically, you go to. It, I don't think you have to go to a retreat, but they go out into like nature and then sit there. And apparently the longer the meditation goes, obviously in that first 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, hour, your thoughts are racing all over the place. And it's kind of hard Mm. to keep your eyes closed and focused. But apparently as that time goes on, if you can, there's some people that do it into like the six hours plus. And as the further you go into it, Mm. the more your thoughts dissipate. Mm. And apparently you get to a place of like no thought it's it's just a place of just pure presence Mm. i'd love to try
0: that at some point but yeah that sounds amazing but also very difficult but i feel like i can do that in less than six hours though like i can get to a point where i'm not thinking anymore Really? yeah Yeah. Yeah. Mm. i get to a point where i'm rested especially the trend especially the alpha one because the alpha it's not a thought it's a vision Mm. so you're not thinking about something you're seeing things You're seeing something happen, like you're watching, observing, mm. um, which is obviously from generated from your mind. But you're not thinking of words and or what's happening here, there, and everywhere. You don't get distracted. You could just you're in this place. Mm. You go somewhere, and you're able to visualize and be in that place without thought, um, which is I think one of the most powerful ones. But
1: yeah. Last just, question. Just just made a note of it. I'm going to check that out. Alpha meditation. Yeah. Uh, final question of it then. Uh, What do you think might help children today who are suffering with domestic abuse? Nice, nice heavy question there at the end.
0: Um, I feel like if it was compulsory for all children to have therapy at school once a week, Mm. that would be the most helpful thing that any of them can do. In fact, change that. If they could have... One class a month. No, one class a week, sorry, where they they were taught about how to understand themselves, how to invest in themselves, how to meditate, how to do breath work and to experience cold water. If they had to do that every week, as well as looking at some sort of therapy as well. If that was part of the educational program, Mm. that would be amazing. Mm. That would change children's lives. That would enable them to have tools from a young age to that they can use for the rest of their lives to yep. make to get them through anything. Great. That is a beautiful one to end on. Mm. I would love it if that happened. So yeah. Mm. On that note, Zachary Oliver, signing out.